Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. You can expect discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In Episode 6 of Season 4, our main topic will be discussing In the Shadow of Malice narrative Warcry event at Adepticon 2022. Now, my name is Josh, and we have some unique guests for you tonight, people. Answering the call with me this week is unfortunately not Paven, because he's caught Nurgle's friends, and uh, he and his family have been suffering, and he won't be able to make it tonight. But we do have a special guest, Vint, who helped me design and run the event at Adepticon. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. And we also have a unique and familiar voice. Who might it be? Eric. Hey, everybody. Hey, I'm doing great. It's uh, fantastic to be back on the cast. Uh, We were talking a little bit before the episode that it's been two years since I've been on an episode of uh, Dogs of War Cry. And I am so excited to talk to you uh, today about uh, your event at Adepticon. That's awesome. No, it's great to have you back too, man. It's nice to have some, uh, I'm sure people are excited to have some different voices to listen to as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So to kick us off, uh, we're going to start with the Forge of Mithraxis, an oldie but a goodie. And here we're just going to chat a little bit about the hobby we've been uh, hammering away on. So Josh, what have you been working on? Well, I think most of my hobby has been, of course, preparing for the event. So a lot of planning and uh, printing and cutting out things and, and designing stuff. So that took up a large portion of my hobby time. Um, and then, but and then it, recovering for, from the event, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And well, now I'm planning to, now to run it locally, right? So that's, so that's been good. Um, I did get some additional painting done on my Darko Savagers, uh, which is good. And kind of, then I got to another painting bottleneck. And so I'm trying to figure out, okay, which leather colors do I like better? And I think I figured it out and then I can, I can proceed. Um, but, uh, other things have started to try and distract me too. Is like, oh, there's more terrain out there. Oh, I'm going to get my printer up and going again. Oh, oh wait, the new night codex is coming out. I really, maybe I should work on it. No, 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 no. I got to get my dark with savagers done. So <laughs> trying to reining myself back in, <laughs> but it's been good. It's, it's a good problem to have. Awesome. The forge never stops ringing, uh, over at your house. Right. Vint, <laughs> <laughs> how about you? What you've been working on? Man, there was a there was a lot of prep for the event. Um, you know, we we didn't we didn't want you know not have enough models. So when it came to like Raptorix and Chaos Warhounds and the the horrors and all the different things that we were building and painting, I, I think between the other events I I played in uh, during Adepticon and and this one, uh, I think there was almost over a hundred models done. So it was a uh, it was quite the push. Yes. Uh, it was it was kind of wild because I haven't painted a Raptorix in a while, and it was nice to uh, go through. and I started on it, and I had a very specific way I used to paint them, and I was like, "Man, this doesn't this doesn't feel right." Like I feel like I'm screwing this up. I just kept telling myself, "Like trust the process. You wrote this down. This is how it works." And when I got done, it looked exactly like I wanted it to. Uh, so it was, it was just really really rewarding. 
So thankfully didn't run into the, the nasty hobby hangover after that. Uh, had some things I wanted to finish up for a couple other armies, but now coming back around to work on some Spire Tyrants, as well as uh, starting to get some paint on my Darko Savagers as well. Very nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. And Eric, yeah, for your me, resurgence. What has it brought? Yeah, so I've been uh, out of the hobby for about a year and seven months. Um, some personal reasons, some professional reasons, uh, needing to kind of step away from the distractions of it and kind of focus on some things. Everybody did something a little bit different over the pandemic, I'm sure. And I'm in a p- space now where I'm really excited to step back in, but I'm trying to take it easy. So the first thing I've been doing is trying to uh, take all of the models that I have kind of packed away as I'm uh, unpacking them, uh, taking any photos of them that I haven't taken and updating uh, the hobby blog on uh, the mortalrealms.com uh, website. And uh, the first ones to kind of get a little bit of love was some of my cog fort models um, that are kind of work in progress stuff. And then uh, as uh, my latest one that I'll probably have put up, um, one of the latest ones will be a kind of a, a spotlight on my untamed beasts, the dogs of war cry and, and kind of that fully painted war band and, a few yes. of the stories uh, littered in there from its my first campaign, etc. Um, so I'm I'm really looking forward to having more of that kind of up and uh, uh, for people to see and be inspired by. It's awesome. Yeah, it would definitely be fun to you know I've been checking out your hobby blogs as you've been posting the new uh, Cogford stuff. I mean, it's fun to see that. I didn't realize you had built additional things for that. So that's been fun to see kind of crop up. Yeah, I've got about five more posts on that, I think, three or maybe four, uh, yeah. of, of work-in-progress stuff. So what I'm trying to do is even when I've started a, a unit, I'm going to start a blog post for it, post that stuff up, and then as I complete it, I can add to that particular post uh, and, and not worry about you know whether or not I'm waiting until a unit is done before I put a post up or start writing sure. on it. So, uh, you know, I haven't really done a blog myself, but is it, do you find it motivates you to get it done or is it just fun to share your ideas or what's the, I guess your, your rationale behind having the blog? Yeah. So my hobby used to be mostly like painting and posting things to Twitter, which is great because it got people excited in the moment. Um, but you know, Twitter's kind of a rushing, you know, river, uh, you know, as I, you know, the, none of my posts are going to be easily found and that sort of stuff here and now, and they're pretty scattered. So it's, it's sort of, for me at the moment, it's a little bit of cataloging and cleaning house. So that kind mm-hmm. of, you know, how most people, you know, you, every once in a while you clean your desk out, uh, right. get ready so you can refresh and ready to hobby some more. That's sort of what this is going, going to be for me. Um, right now I've got so much I want to, to get up on the blog post. And right now I have the motivation to, as soon as I kind of get to a point where I'm happy, then I think, you know, I'll be able to put up a blog post as I'm creating new content, as I'm putting a new unit together or a new warband together, it'll be easier to keep up with it. Sweet. Yeah. And I look forward to checking those out now. It could be yeah, thank more you. routine. <laughs> Here's open. Yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, it's good to have something <laughs> motivating, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys sharing that. It's always fun to hear what people are working on and see pictures crop up. So now we'll move on to our path to glory. And the nice thing is we've actually got some games under our belt. So at least uh, I know Eric has been 
kind of slipping back into the hobby and has gotten in a couple of practice games. So I will uh, let him kind of kick off this section. Oh, sure. I've already been talking forever, so I might as well keep it going. That's uh, right. So I'll just say, yeah, thank you to, to Josh and Paven for, uh, you know, uh, when I started peeking back into the Discord and saying, hey, guys, what's going on? Uh, we got we set up a couple of times to play some games and um, started off uh, Paven and introduced me to the Catacombs. And he introduced me by encircling me uh, and then uh, webbing me up with his, uh, I can't remember the name of the warband now. Uh, so I'm, I'm rusty because I've not been in seeing everything coming out. Tarantulous Brood. The, but the Tarantulous Brood. Uh, Paven uh, made quick work of my beasts, a quick snack of them uh, in the catacombs. Nobody uh, fell into the lava, unfortunately. I was a little disappointed. Right. Me too. Uh, and then, uh, <laughs> and then Josh and I played a game uh, on the a Red Harvest table uh, again with some some uh, lava, but with the big machines. And I'll say, uh, you know, not a won't give a blow by blow, but uh, to sum it up, uh, kind of how it went for Josh and I uh, <laughs> uh, individually. My one of my rock tusk prowlers, uh, Sakubi, pounced up on your leader, got him down to a single wound which was uh, repeated over and over. I'd attack something, get it down to a single wound. And then uh, we realized that you were within half an inch of the machinery, and so you had to roll a, uh, uh, a damage roll, uh, and you rolled a one and uh, killed, your, killed your leader. Uh, he fell into the, the turning wheels of yeah. the stupid... <laughs> yep, and uh, that wasn't the last one you would roll that night. So, uh, oh, no. It was uh, some bad dice and some, uh, and some good... Uh, but it was, it was a fun game. It was, it, was, it was really cool. So it was just it reminded me how much I love this game. So um, yeah. that's what I've been up to. That's, those are my games played. How about you? Uh, so, yeah, the game was, was hilarious. And, uh, you know, the setting it up and, and kind of getting everything going, you just realized how deadly this new Red Harvest terrain is. Because, uh, you know, we, had, we tried out the sluices, you know, poor Eric, <laughs> I think it was his dagger, had to come on and be right on or around one of the sluices. Oh, yeah. I had, f- I had four planes runners right. just hanging out on the sluices like they were uh, going down, like they were at the Dells uh, for a water park day. Exactly. It was great. And I was like, you know, they came on on turn two. So I, I happened to have a Darko Savager nearby. I ran over to the on button and waited. And then they popped up and I kicked that thing on. Yeah. Yeah. You, you rolled a six for that <laughs> yeah. one and uh, traveled all the way down. Every single one of them. I think two of them were on one wound and or two wounds and the other two had we're on half wounds, yep. so yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, deadly stuff. That's <laughs> great, though. Because then, because that's what it was. Because then the next turn, when they actually it was turn to activate, them, right? They had to roll uh, to see if they survived even to activate um, uh, to move. So yeah, a couple of them died uh, right away <laughs> after that. It was nuts. It was nuts. Yeah, yeah. Levent, did you happen to get any Warcry games in in the last, you know, four, three, four weeks? I mean, it's uh, I got to be the ringer at our event, and uh, that was fun. Um, it was some some chaos warriors, and they uh, in every game they outperformed the the goal of of, of getting themselves <laughs> yes. killed pretty well. Uh, so so that was that was a thing, but it, it led to a lot of really fun moments. There is a a really cool moment in one of the in the last game we played where. Uh, I knocked somebody off the top of a building and, you know, it's always that, okay, I rolled a six. Now you, if you roll a one, you fly off the building. Okay. You rolled off. Now it's, 
it's not a ton of damage. You know, you might survive. You got two health left. And sure enough, he rolls and, and does the two damage and, <laughs> and kicks the bucket. And, uh, it, you know, those, those moments are really a big fun draw for me to, to play all the time. And, uh, there is, there is moments in every game that were, uh, you know, what are the chances, you know, never tell me the odds moment, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, apparently the crits so. were flowing, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yep. Yeah. There was, uh, my dice, my dice didn't get the memo, uh, <laughs> at all. The good thing is that the two out of the three players that went played wanted to nominate him for best sportsmanship, you know, even though he wasn't supposed to be voted in. So they had great games. So it was definitely a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, it was a blast. Uh, and, and that was really like, you know, it's it's really cool. Like I get some games in with Josh here and there and uh, one of my buddies, Travis, uh, it's it, like we, we play and these are, you know, friends and people I've played with a lot, but I didn't play anybody I knew when I was at the, the Adeptic. That's game. awesome. And it was just really cool to make these moments and these memories with these people that I, I would have, you know, mm-hmm. probably never run into and uh, just have that fun and be part of their narrative and have them be part of mine. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, it's one of the big draws of Adepticon is people are coming from all over the place with different experiences. And uh, not everybody has uh, the, the luck of um, having as active of a scene as we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so getting to, to an, or, or even have as positive a scene as we have. Um, and so getting to experience that at Adepticon and, you know, you know, you guys being able to be ambassadors of our, our Midwestern uh, gaming uh, charm uh, has has left. I'm, I hope that goes back to wherever you know everybody comes from, and they can they can bring that there as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it was it was really cool. It's very inspiring. Very very inspiring. Awesome. Any other games or activities you guys want to chat about? No, nothing yet. Not not right now. All right. Well, then let's let's look to uh, the stars or the the roll of the bones uh, and visit the visions of madness. Uh, we've got a couple of things out of White Dwarf four seventy three uh, Warcry rules p- for playing games in Thondia, which is the new campaign setting that's just uh, launched. Um, what do you guys want? What I haven't read the White Dwarf myself, so. What, what did you guys find interesting or, or neat or, or new about that? Tell us about it. I mean, so it starts off with Out on the Range is the big title, and that made me you know think right away of, of uh, banjos right. and ukuleles. And if you've heard <laughs> them, it's way too late already. <laughs> exactly, right? Um, so the big thing is in Thondia, if you're going to do some Thondia rules, uh, you get plus one toughness to anything with a beast uh, rune mark. Um and that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, the different charts, everything as, as normal with with Warcry feels really really narrative driven. Um, feasting pits. Every time you kill a fighter, they turn into an objective uh, because your warband's going to go eat them, and it really like captures the absolute uh, savagery of of what's going on in Thondia and what's going on in the realm of Gur, um, and to encapsulate the fact that like. Yeah, of course your warband can play elsewhere as a war cry band, and sure, it's going to absolutely feel different, right? You know, you you get a lot of of awesome things through the the white dwarf on this one with uh, victory conditions and twists, uh, as well as you know your um, your relics and you know war chiefs 
part of it where if uh, if you've played a battle in Thondia, generating a command trait, it just it's all really really awesome, and you have a lot of good options for it, and all of them feel really like really fluffy and really like tied. That's awesome. It definitely feels like um, I mean, like having played now, uh, going from the initial starter box to going to catacombs to going into Red Harvest and being so terrain, terrain specific um, and now having Thondia with a lot of rule specific, it definitely feels like, like you can decide where, you know, with your, 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 your opponent, like where are we playing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they've got a lot to just kind of make the environment feel completely different. Yeah. I, I thought one of the nicest things Absolutely. I thought about this article is the fact that it, makes it official that Warcry games can be played outside the eight points. You know, obviously there's tons of stuff that we can still learn about in the eight points and it's a wonderful place to play because the terrain can be wacky. You've got all sorts of options, but it was nice for them to show that, Oh, Hey, here's some thematic rules to play in one of the other realms. It's okay. You know, it's like the official notice, do it, try it out. And that was awesome. And uh, this article had come out before we, completely designed the event and we considered oh should we include some of these or not or like well you know it might you know putting extra one toughness on a beast right away you know maybe we'll keep it you know the way we had started designing it and then add this you know for future events or other occasions well and and with our our second mission involving so many beasts uh it would just be a little bit of extra paperwork you know for for the people who have come so far to play um, and just, it, just to keep it simple, but definitely something I want to do, uh, right. You know, going through and, and it's in the little stuff, right? Like the, the command trait KG prey, few fighters can stall this powerful hunter's stride, right? If you're in Thondia and you're in the realm of beasts and hunting and, and fighting your way through is so much of your focus, you know, it, it really would stand up that your character fights like he's a hunter. Um, he, he acts more bestial. He's a little bit quicker on the draw. And without even telling you what it does, you have an idea in your head and a picture of how your character moves, you know? And I think that that's, like, that's so unique and so incredible for a game that that's, you know, played with models and a game that's really, like, narrative-driven. It's just so cool to see mm-hmm. it keep expanding, right? It's not, you get plus one toughness, the relic, right? It's something much different. And and it feels that way, and that feel is what makes Warcry such a fun and unique experience. God, they've been calling the Untamed Beast back to battle. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you guys are going to want to play me in Thondia. You know. <laughs> right, oh, right. I'll fight you in Thondia. <laughs> <I'll throw laughs> <down. laughs> yeah, the, one of the you know the twists are also very interesting. There, there's one things like called Pax or something like that where. You're, there are these this wandering pack of animals, and every turn, I can't remember. It's every turn, every player's turn, the the model that's furthest or closest to the board edge is removed. Just out, they got taken down by the pack, and so it like encourages players to keep moving closer to the center of the board, or not be the one that's farthest away. So it was really interesting. I was like, oh, definitely got to try that sometime. <laughs> that is interesting. I remember a, a couple of. Uh twists like that in the in the starter set in the original where it sort of yeah just sort of picks you off from the sides yeah um uh and you know one of the things i don't know does it have anything in there with you know like you know packs of roaming beasts or anything like that 
Um, not packs of roaming beasts, but there's one where you have to fight this alpha beast, you know, and, um, mm. and there's another one where if you kill the alpha beast, you're, that model becomes the alpha beast and has to be taken down. So like, it's, you know, kind of like oh. or something kind of transfers. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So King, there's, there's King a lot of, of really or... neat missions. That that's kind of cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, and tying some stuff into right current events in Thondia, there's a whole bunch of cruel boys running around and kind of trapping things and making things awful. One of the twists is that you're running around and there's traps all over the place. Um, just because there's there's cruel tricks afoot. The battlefield was once a cruel boys encampment. And the murk in which the fighters battle contains all sorts of horrid surprises. Like, yeah. What an, what an easy way to, to bring uh, through a white dwarf to bring a theme to kind of a local scene or, um, you know, to a, to a small event, you know, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Now there's another white dwarf, uh, 474. So two months in a row where we've had some war cry content, uh, what's happened in 474? What did, what did we get there? So here, um, there's the new Fury of the Deep box set coming out that's got a bunch of um, Ideneth, Deepkin, and um, Fire Slayers in it. And uh, it has two unique uh, hero models in this box set. So instead of waiting a whole year to get your next Tome of Champions or anything, what they did is they released an article that has Warcry cards, uh, actually physical cards too, in the, in, the, in the magazine as an insert. But Warcry cards for each of these new heroes, they introduce... Uh, a special ability for them uh, and a whole quest for them to go through, including the artifact and command trait that the models would go through for these particular quests. And it has the convergences and everything. So they, they've made these kind of right away. They've introduced these models and provided quests and, and something very thematic for playing with those models if you have the box sets. So it was awesome. You know, you know, Usually we've had to wait for a long time, but these are out even before the box set was, which is great. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, well, they definitely look like they'd be fun to play rules light and uh adaptable um on the fly so that's really cool yeah no i'm looking forward to hoping they'll, they'll keep uh having some war cry content as in white dwarfs gone forward i'm looking forward to my b7 plus one toughness <laughs> yeah right <laughs> all right well our next category is the circle of paint challenge uh since paven's not here for this circle of paint we won't necessarily go through it but uh the only update I really got is is getting some more paint on my Dark Oath Savagers, and I need to get a lot more paint on my Dark Oath Savagers. Uh, so. For for the purposes of of myself, yes, uh, and, and maybe Vint, what is the what is the current challenge ongoing for this uh, season? Definitely no. So we uh, we had we put it out to a vote, um, you know, and people said we want to see the war bands from Red Harvest and a monster. So, so we're like, oh, okay, all right. We can, well, and we kind of went back and forth in terms of, okay, what well, do we want to do both? You know, a lot of people wanted a monster, a lot of people wanted the war band, some people wanted both. So we said, okay, we'll do both. We're being flexible on what that monster might be depending on timing and everything else. I know Paven had a bunch of ideas he was thinking about for his uh, Tarantulous Brood, and then he decided he ended up painting up the new Stormcast Warband as part of their War of More Hills challenge that we were kind of going through that quest uh, campaign. And he's like, oh, I'm going to use these as well, um, you know, for maybe my monster, uh, you know, and for voting. So, you know, he's kind of come up with war two Warbands. I'm still trying to finish my one. So, <laughs> 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 as usual, dang it, Paven, you're so fast. 
I, th- I think you've already uh, shared how much you've been working on. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I suppose there's a little advantage of uh, focus on his side. <laughs> right, exactly. No, that's true. Oh, wonderful. All right. So with all of that, we will move into our victory condition. And obviously, we're going to talk about setting up and running the In Shadow of Malice Narrative Warcry event. We did it at Adepticon. Eric is going to be our MC for this portion. <laughs> and he's going to, yeah, he's going to direct the story while Vint and I do our best to answer his questions under this intimidating light of interrogation. <laughs> Where were you dun, at dun, Adepticon dun. 2022 <laughs> at, from 11 a.m. till 6 p.m.? All right. Um, first of all, let's just get a lay of the land. Uh, I know that you've talked a little bit about on the episode, uh, on uh, past episodes of just kind of the setting, et cetera. And we'll get to narrative in just a little bit, but let's like level set. Uh, what uh, at Adepticon? What was the uh, what was this event? Kind of shape, size, how many people, uh, how many tables, that sort of thing. Um, uh, Vint, why don't you start us off? Give us a give us a sense of scale of this. All right. So when we we sat down and we looked at it, we built the idea that we could do forty players if all forty showed up. Um, Twenty six signed up. Twenty one attended. That's a really good. That's um, a good show up, right? The uh, the goal, yeah. right? Honestly, it was it was pretty awesome. Uh, I was pretty happy with it, uh, and I, it it didn't feel like we were overran at any point, and everybody everybody was able to find a match pretty easy. Um, the goal is to uh, you know build this narrative event in uh, in Excelsius, and then from there, really get it going into these branching quests. So win, lose, or draw, the quests were all written by Josh and I to drive this story forward. So at the end of each mission, it was a choose-your-own-adventure quest. You know, as the other warband leaves, do you go forth and choose X or Y for your next mission? And then it would, would go forward. So with, with 40 players, how many tables and, and kind of uh, and, and branching missions did you guys have to come up with, Josh? So um, we ended up, well, at Defticon, you know, and the guy who is kind of organizing the AOS area has crazy amounts of terrain. He spends a lot of time painting it all up. So he said, oh, yeah, we could easily have 40 tables of Warcry stuff. And I was like, whoa, okay, maybe we don't want to run an event that big. So, but, so we're like, okay, we're thinking 40 players, 20 tables. That should be a great start for us to try out an event at Adepticon. And so that's what kind of where we went with, hoping that we'd, we'd have, you know, at least a, ge- a decent number of people want to come out and play. So 20 was the 20 tables was the goal, but we have terrain to cover a lot more than that okay. if we ever needed to. And that's part of kind of the Adepticon stash amongst the you know, exactly. Age of Sigmar and that sort of thing. So 40 was the, the could be the, mm-hmm. the max, uh, but 26 signed up. And so from there you kind of knew, well, we can do fewer tables so you kind of got a better scope of what what was needed um and then how about um you know when you had to do the branching quest what how much did you have to think of uh yeah so this was the trickier part because um you know we we asked people to kind of uh let us know what war bands they were taking so we could have a chance to review the list and it just make sure that it was more narrative than not um and you know, we got some of them, but not not everybody. So we had no idea how many people might be doing what types of quests, right? So, <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, we definitely wanted 
you know, a unique branching quest for each of the four Grand Alliances. And uh, we thought it would be awesome to throw in a Dogs of War cry quest, you know. You know, the Dogs of War, definitely mercenary type faction in old Warhammer worlds. And so it was a fun, you know, play on Dogs of War cry. Fits the podcast, fits your war yeah. band. Nobody put Dogs of War in a, cor- in a corner. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, and then, then that would give, you know, we didn't want faction players to feel like they were stuck having to do their faction quests, you know. So we're like, okay, well, we'll have a mercenary faction so that if they really don't want to be fighting for death, they can say, okay, I'm going to go do my own thing as a mercenary warbing. And then at least every faction or every player had at least two quest options they could start with. We had originally had ideas of much more branches. And then as we started writing, we're like, oh, wow. Okay, we're going to have the number of branches because we're not going to get that done in time. Yeah, there, there's so much work that went into each of those narratives. And uh, like it, it started off with, um, I kind of wrote up an outline and sent it to Josh and was like, well, these these are kind of like looping branches, you know, win, lose, or draw. And they kind of, they all work together. And um, then we were like, okay, let's extrapolate on these. And it turned into this, like, whoa, this was a lot more, like a lot more time than like even picking the missions. I think, uh, Josh, you and I picked mm-hmm. missions over an afternoon lunch. Um, and it took us two weeks to write the narratives or more, you know, it was, it, honestly, I think it was longer. Like it was real crazy. I, uh, Man, I'm a was firm believer that, um, you know, narrative games compared narrative events compared to uh, match play events often double or quadruple the amount of work <laughs> simply because you require paragraphs of of uh, kind of story. Even if it's like a blurb, right? Mm-hmm. Three sentences. Yeah, like it just adds to the amount of work that you're doing, um, and you hope it pays off because it just creates a more immersive sp- experience. But we're doing this to ourselves, right? We right. make more work for ourselves because we want it more. <laughs> Um, so I, I totally get it that, that that was a lot of work. So you had, um, so that's a, a set of branching quests for uh, order, one set for destruction, one set for death, one uh, set for um, chaos, and then uh, Dogs of War Cry. So you had five different sets. For each one of those, you had uh, stories. How many games did people play over the course of the day? Yeah, they had uh, three different games, you know. So the way we designed it is obviously the, the normal branching quest that, that Games Workshop released, um, all of the narrative, you know, for any of the Warcry campaigns is tied in your convergence and those you have to win to proceed. So one of the things Vint and I had to figure out is like, okay, well, how do we design a narrative event where people are playing their convergence, but don't have to win to continue the narrative? And so we had to write it in the way that even though, you know, if you won, lost, whatever, it was still neutral, neutral enough that you could, your story continues, you still get to choose your option. At the same time, we wanted to kind of tie in more of a, okay, well, we wanted to add something that people will be encouraged to try to win, you know, so we added hidden agendas to each mission um, that was specific for that narrative. So all the missions were exactly identical. They're set up everything else. Um, But each person's quest for mission one, they had a certain hidden agenda that tied into their narrative. And there was only one bonus glory point, but it kind of encouraged them to do something based on what their narrative was instead of just trying to win and get as much glory as possible. And so in that way, we kind of tried to draw them in. And then for the second mission, as part of their narrative, we gave them a narrative-specific 
um, command trait, you know, so something that their character earned, you know, so far in their quests. And then at the end of the third mission, they got the legacy artifact that was tied to the quest branch that they took. And then, you know, again, we, we kind of designed it where it'd be really cool to have this ongoing permanent item out there that would encourage people to come back and play in an event and say, hey, I've got my legacy artifact. I'm going to bring it with me. So uh, everybody who played who got a legacy artifact at the end of the event next year, if they come to a Dogs of War Cry uh, or the Adepticon narrative War Cry event, they can bring that artifact, correct? Yes. Absolutely. And are you not yeah. afraid of, uh, you know, people who have been here then this in 2022, just crushing and ruining the days of everybody who shows up to 2023 <laughs> for the first time. Well, like, you what know, were you guys thinking? <laughs> you know, so I don't know. You, you stepped away for a little while, Eric. But one trend I've noticed is in each new box set uh, or in, in the books, the, some of the artifacts have gotten ridiculously powerful. Some of the command traits are just downright nasty. So that was definitely something in our mind. It's like, okay, well, we don't want to put something out there that is going to be so bad. You know, like there's there's some artifacts where you can cause 2d6 damage to a model every turn. You're like, what? You know, how is this bad? It's like, no, 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 no. So, so yeah, we, we made sure to kind of scale it back to a the baseline level command traits and and artifacts so that it was fair but still interesting you know and so and that they, they, maybe they don't have tons of new flavor like the, the really new artifacts but yeah it won't ruin somebody's event <laughs> well i mean when we're playing uh you know our our own quests right when i'm on a campaign for my warband uh you know i hit my milestones of getting a i play my um you know a bunch of games i get to my um convergences i get my um command trait i get my weapon and you know my opponent probably has that too when we're playing locally like we have warbands that have these things and so it's not uncommon for uh for us to be playing with somebody who has you know an uber weapon type of thing um and so that i mean that just brings that i mean already what you're telling me is that in the course of three games you're kind of accelerating their campaign uh, feel like like when they're doing it at home, they get their command trait at some point, mm -hmm. they get an artifact at some point, and it makes them, you know, more powerful. And so that that's part of the game, and you you found a way to incorporate it over over through games. I think yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And we did add the stipulation, you know, that okay, if they bring it to a future event, and they're not using the same warband, they have to provide a narrative explanation for how their new warband got that artifact. So you know, we're, my again, old warband killed my exactly my new warband. We'll probably get a lot warband. of that. <laughs> <laughs> and took their their GD weapon. Okay, very cool. Um, so let's get a little bit more into the narrative. Then, um, what? Wh how did you? Where is this set? And how did you kind of feed that to the players to kind of get them immersed in the narrative? Uh, with the the fall of Excelsius, one of the things we wanted to make sure it was someplace everybody could be. Right. Um, when you look at what happens to Excelsius in the Kragnos book uh, of the Broken Realm series, you see that everybody's there. There's a little bit of everything there, uh, and the realm, like the city, is left in in ruin uh, after the destroyer of empire, the end of empires, walks through and, and busts it all up. So one of the big things is finding a place, uh, a convergence, if you will, where where everybody is attended. Right there's chaos, there's uh, order, there's destruction, uh, there's death. Right, everybody is there in some way, shape, or form. 
So finding something, a setting in which everybody would be there allows an easier way to tie it back into stories when they go home, right? Uh, you know, hey, we, we were, you know, we, we earned our marks in Excelsius. You know, we went down to the Spin Wester and we did the thing. It, we were great. Now we've got another mission to do and we're going to do it here, right? And it gives them something to say and you can tie it to Excelsius because that's something that, you know, is in current and lore. The, for and the current, first time ever, um, uh, Chaos Warbands back in the eight points got postcards, right? <laughs> yeah. Wish you oh, were yeah. here. Yeah. Not. Wish you were here in Excelsis. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so you're in Excelsis. It's a place where everybody can come to. Uh, Adepticon, I mean, it's kind of a hard thing to kind of, um, you know, when we've done local events or when you have more contact with the people signing up, you can kind of feed them a few things. Um, did you have much contact with everybody uh, who signed up prior to the event or was it kind of like once they showed up at Adepticon, then you could kind of immerse them. So we, we had, uh, we kind of got funneled our, our information through the Adepticon staff and, and they would pass along, you know, our, our game, our narrative packet essentially, which is kind of a, a, an introduction to, you know, why they're there. And then it kind of lists what the five main branching quest options are and kind of describes what your list should, you know, entail or not include and, you know, a general timeline. So, so that got passed along and we just said, you know, please send your list to dogs of work, at gmail.com. And we probably got about eight or nine people, you know, sent some questions about how the lists were supposed to be built, you know, or shared their lists and things like that. But, uh, but a lot of the other players didn't. So, so it was kind of a mix and, you know, there's some back and forth and uh, in terms of, you know, is this okay? Or what about these models? And, and some of them are on our discord so they could ask there as well. So it wasn't, I was hoping for more direct line communication so that I could like feed them teasers and stuff as we got closer, but that, that wasn't an option, unfortunately. Um, I mean, the big thing there was that when, once you got your packet too, there was a good introduction. So even though like, wait, right, we get our rules packet out, but you walked into the event and we asked you, it was kind of like a, a being a waiter, right? Hey, what do you want tonight? Are you looking for a little order? Are you looking for a little Dogs of War cry? And they would uh, they would pick, and it would give them the the narrative introduction for their warband in that area. So, well, let's go to that real quick. The people would get the pack. What were some of the restrictions, or or kind of uh, here's your you know must dos or the don't dos? Uh, run us through some of that for kind of setting up an um, an event where people are coming from all over the place. They might have different ways of playing different things, the ways that they like to play. What were some of the ways that you uh, kind of defined uh, kind of what they should bring and, and, you know, how they should show up? Yeah, it was, it was tricky. And I struggled with this a little bit because there are a lot of really cool rules out there for including leaders as heroes and, and other things in your warband building. But we're like, okay, well, this is the first time that we're running an event at, at such a large venue. And we wanted to try and make it as balanced a narrative event as possible. Um, so, so we did limit, you know, no allies, no monsters, um, you know, no thralls or anything like that. And we tried to limit anything that was swarm like to four or less on the table at a time, you know, cause there are certain lists that I've seen out there in, in the, the more competitive space that could be, you know, really bad. So we just wanted, again, we, we stressed that this is a narrative event. We're coming here to have fun and just, you know, put some general framework in there and, you know, let's try to minimize the attempt to, uh, the you know the competitiveness by reducing these few aspects and then we'll, then from there we can kind of look at whatever lists and, and make it feel better 
if needed. Right. Yeah. So, so list construction, a few restrictions, not a lot. I mean, uh, you know, that also there's, there's a little bit, if you can get, you know, if you can buy multiple boxes to get swarms, you know, that sort of things, you know, somebody else might be coming with their, you know, starter box, uh, that sort of thing. So right. there's, there's certainly some, some advantage there. What other signals um, or pieces in there that helped you kind of like uh, focus people on narrative uh, as opposed to competitive? You know, I, you know, kind of like Vince said, one of the things we also wanted to focus on was presentation. Um, and, and part of that was, you know, branching quests were, were a wonderful addition to the game. And uh, it reminded me a lot of, you know, the choose your own story, adventure stories. But I would always look at different options. I'd be like, oh, okay, what's this option? I'll go to this page. What happens if I do that? Oh, what, what happens if I go to the other one? You know, and I was like, okay, well, for this event, we can't have that happening. So we made sure that every narrative page, you know, as he said, you know, when they said, oh, I'm going to do order. Okay, great. You get the first sheet in order, which has got your introductory story. It's got your, you know, your uh, hidden agenda. And then it's got your, okay, what happens after the battle? And then your two choices. And then that way people would have their narrative and they would have just the two choices. They couldn't see what was going to happen depending on what choice they made. You know, if they didn't know what command trait they might get, they didn't know they were getting command traits. Right. And so then it was a true choose your adventure based on the narrative and based how you played, which one do you want to try to do? So that's how we kind of maintain the story. Right. Whereas a lot of competitive events, you know what the you might know what the different games are ahead of time um, so you can plan or right. you know, figure that sort of thing out. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, in terms of um, just kind of getting back to that again, that, so it was kind of just blind. They wouldn't know where they're going next. They had to make the decision on the fly. There's no optimizing their, their um, you know, story path uh, to, to get the right thing. So it was kind of like, say, hey, just trust us. Let go of, of you know, worrying about where you're going to end up and just be in the moment. Right, right. Uh, right along, you know, and, and it was actually funny. We we talked with uh, the Salty Sea Dan. He's got a, a, a YouTube podcast or YouTube about Warcry. And um, he, he shared with us you know, that it, he really enjoyed it. He was also frustrated by it because he wanted to know what was next. But he but he couldn't. He couldn't choose based on what was next because, you know, he wanted to optimize what, what artifact might get at the end. Instead, he had to guess, like, okay, you know, he did the Dogs of Warcry crest. Do I go to the armory or do I go to the wizard's tower or do I, you know, do I go to the weaponsmith? Yeah. You know, what artifact would that give me? You know, so he had to kind of think about it narratively, which is exactly what we wanted. And that, that was perfect. To yep. Hear. Yep. No, that's great. Now, again, going back to these branching quests, how many individual uh, then scenarios did you have to come with for that third layer like what what were the number of possible outcomes that people could could end up with with the uh with the different missions right so you started off one way and then at the end of your first mission you had two choices and those two choices at the end of your second mission gave you another two choices um which led you to the end of whatever your mission was so that you have five paths then or start points so you ended up with 20 potential outcomes is that right well 20 20 total there are five quests with four unique artifacts per uh and and how many of those ended up did, did each of those 20 get handed out 
how many did did anybody fall? You know, like you think of a plinko machine, right? Yeah. They uh, <laughs> you pour that stuff in, and they tend they tend to make a um, a bell curve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, did did some of them become more popular? Did you find out where people sifted out the most? Yeah, yeah, actually, uh, well, a lot of them weren't chosen because uh, they're you know they're, there's so many branching options. But one one of the chaos ones was very popular, and <laughs> and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it, and then I'll let Vint dive in because he wrote the chaos storyline, and it was hilarious. It has to do with the Skaven guy, <laughs> and uh, the, the way Vint wrote the character and the quest, it was absolutely hilarious. The people just hated him, you know. So, <laughs> well, it was it, it was really great because you had people arguing over this this <laughs> fictional character who has a, a grand total of a paragraph and a half of of life just uh you know no he's the worst no he's he's fine like leave him alone <laughs> and like just just yelling at each other back and forth like i can't believe this guy and and it was uh it was really neat um you know it just walking by and hearing these people arguing back and forth like oh higglespork's the worst and higglespork is a good guy yeah, one of the like, options <laughs> yeah, right. very trusting yeah, one of the yes, options yes. was to, to take him out you know and uh and yeah i handed out more stinky skaven skulls than i did any other artifact <laughs> <laughs> so he, he died more than one time yeah, exactly <laughs> he did oh oh yes that's awesome that's awesome uh, yeah. So, you know, you put in all of this work, set the tone, the narrative, getting people kind of into a different mindset. You've got, you've prepared uh, each of these unique scenarios, um, many of which, you know, to the bane of any dungeon master in a, in a role-playing game, uh, you know, not all your preparation gets used. Um, how was it um, on the day of kind of people walking into it and and getting started did did everything you prepared uh all your preparation make it go smooth or were there some some hiccups uh what was it like on the day of with everybody showing up man i thought it was super smooth um you know when when josh approached me to to help him with the event i you know we were ready for mass pandemonium and, and chaos aplenty. And what we got was a really organized, really smooth event. Never felt rushed. Everybody felt like they had a great time. Um, and it was just this really nice, positive in almost every way. I thought it went super crazy smooth. I, you know, having done some TOing myself, I, uh, I was not ready for it to go even quite that smooth. I, I was, I was just, uh, flummoxed. Um, and that's a big testament to, uh, the prep work that we did, but a lot of the prep work that Josh did too, just by himself, like in a lot of ways. So yeah, uh, Josh, no, how did you feel? Pleasantly surprised, uh, like you said, and, and, and everybody had feedback at the end that they, they, they just felt it went so smoothly and was, you know, had no issues and whatever else. And that was reassuring to hear. There, there were some moments where we had to figure out, okay, well, because the quests were all printed with their sheets and I had to make sure, okay, we got to make sure we don't give them the wrong sheet and whatever else. So once we kind of got that in place, that went more smoothly in the second, the third rounds, but we can't, we can design it in a way where, okay, everybody's got the same mission. So we put a printout of the mission against, you know, on every table, it's got, you know, your, your victory condition, it's got a the deployment map, and then it has your twist all in one place. So everybody had the information they needed on the table right there. And then when they went away for a break, and then came back for mission two, we had the second mission out there, which had uh, roaming beasts. And so we also had a sheet 
that indicated the stats for those roaming beasts and how many you put on per turn and then those specific roaming beasts. And, and like as Vant mentioned earlier, we had a crazy number of options. We had skeletons, we had raptorix and chaos warhounds, we had slog trogoths, and then you know we had um, horrors. So we had different different beasts on different tables and specific sheets. And so again, that was made that more smooth. And then again, mission three, we took all those beasts away, put out the third mission, and then they went off on that one. So I think that helped a lot in terms of they had the information they needed at hand. You know, if they had questions, you know, we were all close by and we could answer questions right away, clarifying, you know, either war cry rules because we had people with a huge range of experience. Some yeah. you know, yeah. maybe played one game, some had played a lot, some hadn't played in two years, you know, so. Hey. You know, but yeah, it, it went a lot smoother than I, I thought it would. And, and that was a very nice to, to kind of see. To the to the point of not showing people where things are going, you got them to to take on take the blindfold or put the blindfold on and trust you, um, and so it sounds like you know they were they were open and ready, and you had enough information for them to say, yeah, I think they got this. Um, and then you brought up another point uh, that's different about narrative, especially maybe more so with Warcry than Age of Sigmar. Um, I know, but, but I mean, I feel like the Gibbering Dome does this. Uh, we did this at. Um, Plunging Spires, uh, All Hallows Siege, is that every round you have to reset all the tables, um, which isn't necessarily what happens in, in competitive um, events, right? Yeah, true. Yeah. We didn't change the terrain. It was just everything else. Got, Got it. it. So, so you, but you maybe had to switch some scenarios around, put some different models on the table, et cetera. So it sounds good that, yeah, that you maybe kept some places and they, the, the terrain setup stayed the same. That's great. Just to add, the one thing we hadn't really spent a lot of time thinking about is how we would do matchups. You know? <laughs> and um, but fortunately, Vint came up with a wonderful <laughs> system. Oh, do tell. Uh, he's got quite the voice he can project. Uh, he just said, you know, anybody wants to play each other, play each other in the first round. And then, you know, then paired everybody up and then he played the, the odd person out. And then in the second round, he just said, okay, who won their first game? You guys play each other and paired them <laughs> off. You know, so it was great. You know, he was he was wonderful. I mean, he just did it. It was no nonsense. We didn't have to calculate anything. It was <laughs> it went, that went really smoothly after he decided. That's to, awesome. This is this is That's how we're gonna awesome. do it. Yeah. It was beautiful. <laughs> That's well, and it, you know they it, they were the uh, the the attendees. I feel like they were they were expecting uh, like something. You know, I don't know, like different, right? Like, oh, we're gonna see a posting or something. <laughs> yeah. I was like, everybody, come on in. We're we're pairing you off right now. <laughs> that's uh, but that's it, awesome. It was fun. I mean, that it was so fun. We've been talking a little bit about like, hey, this is you know, narrative can can be a lot of a lot of work. Woe is us. That's not what I mean. Um, but like you said, there, there's there's room to just fudge things, right? There's room to just kind of uh, make some stuff up on the fly, and that's uh, that's pretty cool. And, you know, if you got some people that, you know, you go through a, a strict pairing, maybe you don't get to play the person you want to play or you get stuck with your friend. Um, here, you know, people got to kind of choose to play somebody they know or, or knew uh, or meet somebody new. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. There was actually a couple of people who, who were friends, really good friends, who hadn't seen each other in two years. So they wanted to play each other first. <laughs> and there were some other people who had talked online and like, oh, yeah, we're going to play our first game together. So that was nice to see. Kind of people choosing their own pairings, and then yeah, the rest were like everybody was laid back and open, yeah, so that was a lot of fun. Made a lot of that's really awesome. easy. Yeah, it was it was just and we couldn't have better attendees, man. Like they were, everybody was just so cool and so fun, and they were there for it, right? Like I think that was the other thing. Nobody, nobody at our event seemed like they were like, 
wow, I'm definitely just here to prep for tomorrow, or I'm definitely just here to, you know, kill time because my friends are playing 40k across the way. Like, it was just really nice to see so many attendees just so driven into this narrative. You know, if I, it was a very cool time. It's very cool time. Awesome. Uh, you know, before I, I want to get into some listener questions next about the event. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Kind of how it was set up, how you guys prepared for it, um, or you know, like kind of pre-game uh, stuff that you want to share before we get into listener questions. Yeah, uh, a couple things I wanted to point out is uh, one of the things that you know we had lots of ideas at the beginning, and uh, Vint was good at like paring it down. Like, <laughs> okay, we don't have time for this. But uh, <laughs> but one thing that we we did want to do is like, okay, we want to run an event that's not in the eight points to show people it can be done. And then of course, you know, the white dwarf comes out with Thondia stuff. But you know, we we're like, oh, we were thinking of it for <laughs> so, yeah, oh yeah. But uh, <laughs> but that was like you know that's why we said, oh, what would be a great place? Oh, Excelsis. It's like a Mordheim in the modern setting. This would be great. You know, so again, we wanted to show people that Warcry is a great system for any type of skirmish combat anywhere in the realms, and and I was really pleased with how that kind of worked out. And then um, Nuno would be upset if I didn't mention that um, you know a lot of good discussions about the event and other narrative types of games after the event, um, and he was one of the players. And he just wanted me to share with people that, you know, one of the things he really enjoyed about the event is that we didn't create any special rules. We took everything that Games Workshop has provided us and we maybe reassembled it into a different format and different included, but, you know, hidden agendas are in Warcry, the branching quests are in Warcry, the types of artifacts, command traits, all of these things are part of Warcry already. So it was familiar for people to see that and they knew, okay, I know exactly what this is or I know where this is going. And he thought that was great because then people didn't get caught up in any sort yeah. of special rules or scenarios or things that they had to keep in mind. It's like, okay, I'm familiar with this. And he, he made, he felt that made it flow. That's really great. Well. That's great. So, and, but, and like we said, people coming from different places or only having a few games under their belt, uh, you know, being able to come back to something familiar, uh, is probably pretty, pretty beneficial to that. Uh, how about you vent anything else? I'm glad to hear that, uh, that, uh, um, Josh can go to crazy places of unrealistic expectations for himself and need to pull him back. <laughs> that made me feel better because Josh was that for me uh, a couple years ago. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, uh, yeah, we, we had some very lofty aspirations. Uh, <laughs> yeah, some very lofty aspirations when we started. It was, we were we were really in the woods for right. a minute there. Give us one <laughs> one thing that was just so crazy that you had to take out. Uh, is anything like that that you can share with us? Uh, um, Everyone well, had to wear costumes. Yeah. No, no, no. I'll let, I'll let Vent tickle it, tackle it first to get his perspective. Yeah, I think so. When we started, we were like, we were going to go realm by realm, Grand Alliance. Uh, you know, major faction, like we, we were, it was, it was big. Like the writing for it was, was huge. So you're going to have 365 unique yeah. endings. Yeah. <laughs> Everything was going to be, uh, it was going to be unique. Everything was going to be specific. It was going to be custom tailored to their war band. There would have to be, you know, small, small dossiers of 12 pages, no less on your war band when you got there. Like it, it was, we, we, we were, into the thick of it like it was a thing <laughs> yeah 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 and uh and i've been uh 
thinking for a while and talking to some other people in the AOS community about using boats, you know, in, in Warcry. You know, oh, like yeah. Ship, ship battles or, you know, designing a mega battle where everybody's on ships and they have to take on a large Skaven ship to, you know, for a variety of different missions, sabotage it, get something, kill the leader or whatever. And I was like, oh, we could try to do this for, you know, it'll be memorable. You know, and then he was like, oh, there's a lot of terrain. That's like, we have no rules. <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. He said, maybe we do that next year or for an event locally. Or, and I was like, okay, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. We'll go back to the branching quest idea. We'll stay with that. Yeah. We're, yep. We'll st <laughs> start planning now for 2024. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, there's some great questions that came in that I think uh, from, from listeners, people from the event, uh, on our Discord, uh, et cetera. And I think they'll help shape some of this because, I mean, I could ask you, I could spend the next you know hour asking you some more questions, but let's go to theirs. So the first question is from Will Lawless. Um, how did you guys feel your stipulations as to fighter selection helped with balance? And kind of a follow-up to that, if you're running the event again next month, which, uh, spoiler, uh, you guys are, uh, would you do it again the exact same way or is there anything that you're going to try different or to, to add on to that? So fighter selection uh and balance how did that work out um i think you know a lot of the lists that people shared um i think were fairly well balanced uh, some people did have heroes that they wanted to include so they were disappointed by not having that option because obviously having a hero and a leader is very narrative and you know i love the idea but again we were kind of like oh yeah maybe for this we should start more simple and then we can work our way up in the future so i, I do think it helped made it um, a little bit more smooth maybe balance things a bit. We did still have some warbands that I think felt a little more powerful, even if they didn't have heroes or anything like that. But, um, and, and Vint and I discussed, well, now that we're, we're running the event again in May in the Madison area to, to let other people have an opportunity to play on May 22nd. And um, we said, well, should we try to allow heroes in this one? And he was like, no, let's keep it like a depth of con Part two, you know, yeah. part two is going to keep it keep it the same. So it's the exact same event. People are enjoying it, get that experience, and then we can make modifications in the future. So awesome! Anything to advent? Uh, no, I think the the one thing uh, Josh and I agreed on afterwards. Not that we didn't agree on other things. This was just like the one thing we both looked at each other and were like, "Look, this we should do this next time." Is uh, put time limits on the game. Um, you know, some, some matches were done in 30 minutes, some were done in an hour and a half. So it's just trying to make it make sense. So there's, there's not a, a ton of downtime in between things, but yeah, the, mm -hmm. the event itself was, was super great. And it, and it seemed like it felt really good at all awesome. the tables. Awesome. Yeah. I could see time limits, uh, helping. I like to, so depending on the game, I like to use my weight action uh, quite a bit. If, but if you do that too much, you draw the game out too much. So yeah, and a lot of it was based on player experience, too. For people who hadn't played in a long time or only played once, mm -hmm. they, they needed a little bit more time to get stuff done. You know, so so we for for that, in a sense, to say, well, we got the time, um, and you know, we, we have a bonus event at the end, you know, where we had a multiplayer game set up where people could fight Mega Gargants, and we found out, okay, well, 6 o'clock is not a hard stop, so people have an optional event, they can stay and play. But if they didn't, then, you know, they could go. And so we're like, okay, we feel better about letting people take the time they need to finish their game for the yep. three main missions. So awesome. that helped a lot. And, and huge props to the people who let us borrow those Mega Gargants. Man, they were great. Yes. And uh, we kept them very, very, very safe. Uh, and now that you have them back, you know we did. But <laughs> they they were super cool, and everybody was really excited to try and kill them. Yeah, yeah, big hit. 
This uh, next question is from Toast. Uh, what were some of the cooler narrative narratives behind uh, some of the war bands uh, coming in? I know of two. Uh, I know Nuno and Darcy had some narratives coming in, and, and Nuno wanted to do some narrative things throughout the, the day. He wanted to try and play the other uh, dead deaf player, uh, but that didn't work out in terms of pairing, unfortunately. But uh, but Darcy had this really deep background of her her. Uh, her, do- her goblins, where they, you know, they'd gotten into some shrooms and were getting into trouble, and um, and she shared with me after the event because she ended up choosing the quest line that eventually got her this this vile material, this poison, you know, from the well because she poisoned the well in the, in, in Excelsis, and uh, she said it fit so wonderfully with her narrative that she was over the over the moon. It was awesome. So that was fun. Ah, over the moon. And, uh, Nuno had this. Yeah, exactly. You know, see what I did there. <laughs> Over to Batman Moon. <laughs> and uh, Nuno had this great background for his war band, and it's kind of up on the Weave, which is a website where people are kind of sharing stories and and stuff. Where the, if I'm remembering cor- correctly, um, he he has a, a you know website link with with a nice narrative, and his war band is kind of this this death city that's not aligned with Nagash necessarily, but they're, they're out for lore and knowledge. And I, I think they're set in the realm of shadow, if I remember correctly, but really neat information, uh, you know, good stories. Uh, I don't know, Vin, did you catch any narratives from some of the other players? Yeah, actually. So my first opponent was a, a corn player and he was actually following a slaughter priest. Um, and the slaughter priest was summoning in demons, but he kept summoning in the same ones with the idea that they were going to, like, they would continue to give the bloodshed and corn cares not from whence the blood flows. Uh, but it was a really, really cool, like, he had a board for it, and a skull altar was featured on the board, and he did some really cool resin work all around the table, so the hobby side of it was super neat. Um, but in the playing, he would, uh, like, his blood letters would die, and he would just, like, chuckle and, like, take them off and be like, ah, they'll be back next time, like... And it was it was super neat um, to like a sportsmanship was great uh, because you know if things you you start to have models that that hemorrhage a bit you're 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 prone to be like oh man you know after your third or fourth one but he was he kept the faith the whole time you know blood for the blood god skulls for the skull throne um, and I don't remember the name of his slaughter priest but like we brought him up in the game right like he's not even on the table but we would be talking about like how he's reacting to the battle. Um, and then at the end of the battle, because of the way things went, uh, the answer was really just, nope, nope. He just, he, he saw what happened and uh, he's willing to try a different place now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, so, but he was, that was super fun. Um, the modeling was great. Uh, you know, unique sculpt, uh, unique kit, kit bashes and basing on a lot of his stuff. Yeah. Uh, it just made the game feel really, 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 really characteristic. Really, really fun. Yeah, a lot of really um, nicely converted, painted models uh, yeah. throughout the warbands. They were great. Yeah, the hobby there was All right, insane. so a couple of questions from uh, BMAP, uh, also known as Prenoa. Um, following, and these will get, kind of get at the questions of what might you do differently or what you could do differently. Uh, following the choose-your-own-adventure theme, uh, do you think there is room to weave player decisions together so groups choosing the same path are playing with or against each other. So in essence, a different way of choosing opponents. Um, uh, you know, Vint, you came up with, uh, hey, pick pick who you want to play against. Could you see um, pitting people against each other based on what path they're choosing? Uh, 
that was actually something we talked about. That was one of the things in the woods, right? Man, that sounds really cool, right? Like, man, that sounds cool. But at the end of the day, so uh, Eric, you and I play a game and we have the same same quest line. It ends the same way. But then Josh also picks that same quest line and nobody else picks a quest line that would cross or intersect with yeah. him. So suddenly we have mismatched quest lines. Um, so the idea of convergence walking away, right? Like, okay, so your warband is tired and bloodied. Uh, and as you wipe your sword off on one of their dead carcasses, you see the remnants of what was left of them slink into the gutter. And then you go and address the dwarves in the hold. Um, you know, it, it, it allows for that other warband to walk away and it allows for you to continue on your path uh, without interrupting another path. And all of the, all of the quest lines really did flow back into each other. Uh, in one way or another, where they didn't feel uncomfortable, right? Like that, you know, if you are a Dogs of War cry person fighting in a warehouse against somebody who is there to save some dwarves, you know, things like the word plaza or, you know, you have you have made it into this, you know, this courtyard, right? Those same words would cross over and, and it wouldn't necessarily be like, okay, in District 16... Uh, we have these two warbands. They're going to be fighting in this specific environment. There's there's lots of ways to write, and railroading uh, people together when it's a big group of people can get really messy. Um, letting people kind of sandbox their way and, and fill in their narrative is what makes the narratives from this event your narratives and not just something that me and Josh wrote, right? Uh, if you asked anybody that played, I bet you none of them have the same reasons for picking if they wanted to kill Higglespork or if they wanted to save Spitehorn and right, like they're going to have different reasons. And that reason is what makes your warband yours and not just as, you know, the next box of splintered Fang off the shelf. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And then awesome. part of that is, uh, you know, as we said, we, for each like mission two, for example, we had the chaos beasts, the, you know, the wandering monsters. And so some of the narratives for mission two talked about, Oh, we found a nest of monsters, and another mission to narrative says, "Oh, you need to collect food for this. You know, your your squig is hungry, and you know, or you have to kill lots of models for this ritual." And so they all had a way to tie into why there, there were going to be these extra creatures wandering about. Um, and you know, like you said, you know, I remembered when we had punching spires, and occasionally we'd have a player like, "Oh, he's out here on the pillar." He's got, you know, nobody else to pair up with. So we had to move some people around so that people had matches. And it was like, okay, well, we don't want that to happen. And we don't want one person's narrative to affect another because it doesn't when you play a normal campaign. So that was part of the struggle that we had is like, okay, well, how do we make these convergences without having to win? How do we make these narratives flow? Even though, you know, we, you know, we would love to have, you know, some way to incorporate a narrative like, oh, you know, my narrative, you know, like Nuno, for example, he said, you know, I, I'm not really here for, for Nagash. You know, and he was kind of like, you know, do I have to follow, um, you know, this quest or can I can I change who I'm you know, working for? And it's like, you know, yes, but there's not a really way to do that, you know, mechanically. You yeah. know, so having a way for players to kind of tweak the narrative a bit more or maybe uh, narratively write up a grudge match so they can be paired against certain players would be fun to do in the future. Yeah. I could I see the appeal of wanting to pit people on the same you know, path and only one person can win. Right. Um, but, but like, you think you're, you're making a good point that like losing shouldn't mean missing out on a story. Right. Right. Um, 
because there's great stories, uh, you know, like um, the person who, or the, the war band that goes up here and misses out and like loses to this war band and then moves over here and loses to another war band and then has to move on and lose to another war band uh, only to move on and find their pot of gold, right? Because, uh, which they never would have found if they'd stuck in one place and, you know, were victorious. So it's like, uh, I really, en- I, at first I was like, oh, wait a minute, you know, people lose, but they still get to their pot of gold. Um, but that's good storytelling, even if, um, you know, uh, everyone wants their, their warband to have their own story. And I think you guys did a great balance of, you know, here's the, here's the path to success and, um, you know, winning isn't everything. So yeah, yeah well, hopefully you get to try it out. I'm hoping so. It looks like uh, a green light on that. So I'm uh, looking forward to playing in this. And I'll let everybody know if any of this is correct. If, uh, <laughs> uh, if this is <laughs> my theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right. So then um, thoughts then, and you know, moving forward. And, and I know you said like this next event, keeping it exactly the same, but a little bit of peek into what you're feeling. Uh, thoughts on allowing allies, even if it means a uh, more restrictive list than, you know, current rules allow, you know, uh, this, this comes, um, you know, BMAP and his slaughter priest. Um, uh, I think this was uh, who you called out there. Um, then. Yeah. Yeah. I think it must've been BMAP. So, I mean, knowing that that slaughter priest, you know, was, a, was an essential part of the narrative, like, I mean, isn't not allowing allies kind of uh, being rude right now? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, Nuno has his vampire lord, but he also has this necromancer who's a main character. And we're like, yeah, no, I'm sorry, you can only take one of those. You know, you know. So definitely, narratively, having an ally, a hero in there, is a huge component of it. And you know, we did feel bad, but again, you know, we kind of went back to okay, let's keep it this first time out. We'll keep it as simple as possible, because you know there are allies that help shore up, you know, some weaknesses in certain war bands, and they're valuable. And there are other allies which can make certain war bands, you know little more powerful so we're like well you know everybody's a little different let's keep it level here but, you know for this time well, and the other thing that you and i talked about when we first uh, got into it was that this is you know this was our first war cry well it was my first war cry event and it was our both of our first adepticon uh running anything yeah so um like it was it was a really intimidating beast so when it went smooth that was great but the other thing we had talked about was this is our start, right? This is where our baseline is. Um, you know, so maybe next year when we run the Adepticon event, maybe we won't have allies again, but then the rest of our events as time goes on, maybe we add them or, you know, maybe next year at Adepticon we add allies. Um, more so that that way you can continue or you could write a narrative by just doing like three years of Adepticon, Um and, and build their story out of the, the different events that you're doing. Um, awesome. So I just, I just think it's, it's, it, it felt weird. And I know that there is a few people that really wanted their allies in, but man, I think the, uh, at the end of the day, building your story from the ground up, um, you know, not having your slaughter priest get eaten alive by chaos warriors who can't roll anything but sixes. Um, you know, it's, it's good. It's good. And you'll, you'll have, you know, some really cool story opportunities. Uh, this won't be the last event we run, you know, rerunning it in May on May 22nd won't be the last time we run in this as even a similar event. Uh, there's going to be more of them and they're going to keep coming. Um, and the commitment we have to that is going to be very strong. Awesome. 
So you guys are open to change. You're not curmudgeons. You don't think you're the smartest people ever. Right. Something, you know, evolution is, is a part of the plan. Um, real quick, something that we didn't mention in the setup, uh, and I apologize. Uh, there was a special uh, end of evening multiplayer um, uh, game or, or scenario, uh, fighting Gargants. Uh, Vint, you mentioned it briefly, like that people donated, you know, uh, the use of their gargant for the time. What was, uh, what was that like? What was, I, I, if I recall, that was going to be kind of within the uh, timing of the event, but it didn't work out. And so it was something that you kind of was like, Hey, if you want to stick around and play this, you know, this is, this is something to do. How did that, how did that go? So I'll, I'll provide a little background and then I'll let Vint dive in. Yeah. So we had we weren't really sure how long it would take for people to play games. You know, for people who've played Warcry a lot, you can get done in an hour or less. Um, a lot of the original Warcry missions were three rounds, maybe four. All the, the catacombs tend to be five, and all the revised match play ones in like Tomo Champions twenty twenty one are four. And I think four is a good number. And so we're like, okay, well, we've got four rounds. We're going to have people. We have no idea what kind of experience they have. We didn't want to put a time limit on missions. Uh, you know, for this particular event. So we said, okay, well, we'll have this really cool multiplayer challenge battle. You know, we, we, we thought about doing monsters at first and we were counting up how many monsters we could get, you know, what we need to paint up. And then, and then Vin was like, oh, wait, Aaron Malone has got Gargants. And I was like, oh, that's right. And he's got Mega Gargants. I said, oh, wait, Tomo Champions 2020 has a Mega Gargant challenge battle where two players are supposed to team up, you know, with about 1,200 points each. And we're like, oh, great, we can make this a multiplayer event with maybe five or six people on a board, you know, if everybody shows up and, and um, you know, and then they could try to take down this Mega Gargant and maybe some wandering monsters. We, we, we left the wandering monsters off because people were pretty intimidated by the Mega Gargants. But we're like, yeah, it'd be a great way to finish the day is, you know, having this multiplayer battle where they have to work together, you know, to escape Excelsis, you know, right? And, um, and, and so we ended up, you know, leaving time for the for the narrative itself with the optional narrative and say okay well you've got your artifact you've got your command trait now you can throw your leader on there you don't have to we just made you choose 500 points of models each person and you just got to take this down so you can escape excelsis and get away with all the stuff that you got i'll let vent talk some more yeah i mean i thought it was really neat to to see the 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 way the different players were kind of coming together more than more than not uh when we we built the event uh one of the big things that we thought i thought would happen is that we'd have war bands killing each other but they literally on every table i saw they were like i'm sorry man it looks like the gargant's gonna kill your team but we're gonna win because of it so sorry we'll go kill it now and like they they played together and they helped each other out and they were you know strategizing as a as a team of four versus this ai and it was it was really neat to see, um, and I think across all all fronts, um, it was just it was just fun. It was really cool, uh, and you know, Gargants with the with the rules that they had were just devastating. Like watching them, you know, they hit everybody in a radius, and just tons of damage gets dropped onto the warbands. Yeah, and they can heal. Um, <laughs> yeah, heal, smash things, eat an entire character, like. It's it's nuts. It was really something to see on the wow. table. Yeah, and we did get a lot of, of feedback from a variety of people too, who just said, 
this was awesome to have this multiplayer thing. They hadn't really had that experience before. And, uh, you know, for example, Nuno had said, you know, I really enjoyed the multiplayer event. That's He said, it, I felt like I got to know my other other players, you know, and their war bands and their narrative a bit more. He said, you know, I'd love to do more stuff like that in these types of events. So, you know, I, I do think it's a, a fun way where people, you know, collaboratively they were like oh yeah my guys can do this and oh this is my story and i think they really enjoyed sharing those aspects yeah not your first uh multiplayer event uh you know josh we talked a little bit i think we've talked about in a past episode you put together a little bit of like a a zombie uh scenario uh for our local league and uh you know get four or five people around it and different uh, more than one game a chance to play it and stuff it definitely brings like uh, a chance to like chat to the person next to you while the turn is on the other side of the table. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, that's really cool. Um, awesome. So uh, n- next uh, kind of question ask- asker is uh, Travis uh, Giffen, uh, K7 kicker with a seven for the eye, uh, who's on the Discord and, and here local in the Madison area. What was the biggest challenge to the choose your own adventure style of campaign? Uh, I think we've already established wanting to do too many choices uh, for people. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But was there any challenge for the players? Not knowing uh, what was coming next, I guess something you've said, anything else? No, it's a good question. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one of the the challenges was designing it, you know, so again, how do, how does each player proceed, even though they may win or not their battles. And I think that was one of the things we had to to figure out, but yeah, in terms Mm -hmm. of the players, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Everybody enjoyed it. I know that much. There weren't any particular challenges besides, you know, oh, which path do I take? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. The, the, the picking your path. Um, and it seemed like most of the players seemed pretty decisive about which path they wanted to follow right away. And I think, like, in the, the, I think one of the challenges, I guess, like, for the choose your own adventure style is that how do you tie in factions that are as broad? as like order, right? Uh, does a does a Seraphon really want to help out this elf find these dwarves, find these relics? Like the Seraphon is gonna be there to do something very different. And so so finding finding a path that is a hook, right? Like a DMs everywhere, right? You've gotta have a hook. How are you gonna hook that Seraphon player? How are you gonna hook the Darkling Covens player? How are you gonna hook the um, Nurgle uh, Maggotkin player, you know, how are you going to hook these people into these, this narrative that you're writing? So it's fun and engaging, um, you know, and it, you're doing it with pen and paper, which is the other weird challenge, right? Uh, there are a couple examples where I would go around and I'd read somebody's narrative to them and they'd get all, all psyched up and I'd use the big booming DM voice. Right. And, uh, that would be fun. And it, it that helps, but I wasn't doing that for all, all 11 tables for sure. And so it really just like, you have to write the hooks and, you know, thankfully it seems Josh and I did pretty good with that this time. We're going to have to step up our game for next time. Uh, and that's going to be the, the other challenge is if you ask us this in a year, we'll be like, well, uh, <laughs> we did pretty good. The first one, we, we really had to stretch for the second. So, right. So what was one of the most surprising things a player did? Um, trying to think, I mean, I think a lot of people played, you know, to their warbands narrative a bit, 
Um, Nuno's, uh, you know, again, he was, he's really a narrative, a narrative player and he was really hoping to, Oh, how do I, how do I fight against another death player? Or how do I do this? And he would like to do some extra stuff. So, you know, I definitely think it'd be fun to incorporate some way to do that. And, and looking at some of the Nova events coming up for the narrative war cry, at least the generic rules and ideas they've thrown out there, it looks really interesting. So I'm kind of curious to see how that all goes. Cause that could be something that gets borrowed and, and, and used in different ways. Yeah. How about you, Vent? Did you? Any ideas? Um, I mean, I, uh, I, I, my background is in you know the the broader game of like Age of Sigmar or the broader game of Warhammer Forty Thousand. Uh, so seeing display boards in the hobby, um, it wasn't like an action that somebody was doing. It wasn't some you know something that was very very strange. It was the fact that you know i i didn't know with the scaling down at a large event like this if people would be doing things like display boards so i was blown away by the the effort and the hobby people put into their war bands man i was it, it was something else it was a, it was a red letter day for hobby for sure i think that's what one of the things i'm excited got me excited about war cry is that especially in the midwest where and and fantasy age of sigmar where uh display boards are a uh, part of the the culture here, um, you know, the people can just create smaller uh, display boards, uh, and it takes up less room, but it can still be very thematic and stuff. So that's, I, I'm glad that that was on full display. That's uh, that's really cool. Um, what was the most represented faction? Was there one warband that showed up more than any others, or did you have a pretty big spread? Uh, you said chaos was a pretty popular. Path, so it sounds like there's a lot of chaos oriented uh, players. Or yeah, Skaven was the popular path. Uh, but was there any any particular warband that that showed up the most? Um, I don't think so. The, the nice thing is that all the warbands were were quite different from each other. We had two death warbands. Um, one was led by a necromancer, the other by the other by a vampire lord. But they had different units that they were using. Uh, we had two two Skaven players, and they they also had some very different compositions to them. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, so I think everybody took something different. We had you know the, the goblins, we had uh, an Iron Jaws player, um, you know, and a variety had, of uh, demons. A, yeah, yeah, demons and um, mortals. Like it was, it was there was an Untamed Beast player there, Eric. Mm-hmm. Just saying, That's two awesome. cats. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was it was a really good spread. Uh, there wasn't like, I mean, I think there was a few Stormcast players, but again, it didn't look like there was a lot of samey mirror matches yeah. that were yeah. out there. They were all okay. different. Uh, mm-hmm. A Sylvaneth cool. player. Oh, nice, nice. Um, all right. Uh, this question, I mean, I think you've answered a few things. Uh, was there anything that worked better than you thought it would? I mean, I know you said like things went smoother than you thought they would. Was there anything that kind of stood out as, hey, we planned this, we weren't sure if it was going to work out, but it, it was gangbusters? Hmm. Josh printing off a million <laughs> copies of everything because and, and having us both like, okay, let's hand these out. And it seems like a really simple thing, right? You've been handing out papers since you were in elementary school. It shouldn't be hard. And we were like, you know, we were grabbing the same thing and I'm trying to find – it was – it had every – every opportunity to be a disaster and instead it was the smoothest thing ever so if if there wouldn't have been like a bazillion different copies i think 
I think it would have it would have slowed down um, our distribution of your next narrative quest. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think most people were pretty quick to, you know, get their stuff moved and set up and get rolling and reading the rules and talking about what they thought the mission was and the, and the victory conditions and everything. So um, I was really pleased with how quickly people just kind of did that on their own, you know, get together and, you know, learning everything and asking questions if they had any. But yeah, so I, I think we were we were really happy about that. You know, so Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Travis, for all those questions. Next, we've mentioned his name a couple of times. Uh, Nuno, uh, which I'm going to modify his question a little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, which kind of behavior stretched your patience as a GM uh, uh, during the event? Was there was there anything like um, that's that a player or a number of players did that sort of was like, uh, you know, it was was took your patience uh, the most? Yeah, so this is this is actually Nuno's way of being tongue in cheek because. He, he he came up and said, "Oh, you know, do I have to, you know, do the quest this way, or you know, can I can I add these different things, or can I play these certain players?" So he's just teasing me because he, he thinks he's the one that bugged us the most. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was maybe the case. I was like, "No, he was super great. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, you know, and, and I loved that. You know, he was bringing that up because it, it made me think about you know we have to do more of that with plunging spires because we had fewer people and more time to build more of that storytelling." And yeah. um, I wasn't sure how that would work at Adepticon, but, was, you know, it's definitely something I would love to incorporate in the future. So it, it, it was wonderful. And, and he prompted lots of different ideas and like, oh, you know, we could do something kind of like that in the future or whatever. But yeah, definitely I appreciate I, it. When somebody's like, ooh, can I, can I change this? Can I do it differently? There's a little bit of, um, you know, how do you keep it fair for everybody if everybody asks? But if people are acting in a narrative sense, if, they're, if you can see that they're driven by a story you know, not by this will help me win. Um, then it's definitely you're more able to kind of say, yeah, go for it. Um, talk it over with your opponent and if they say, yeah, then go for it. So, um, but yeah, so new, what you're saying is Nuno was stretching your patience. In <laughs> not, a good... not patience, not patience. <laughs> GM skills. He was, he was you know, <laughs> helping us develop further. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was he was a great opponent. I had a lot of fun. Uh, he was my second game, and uh, it was it was a pretty it was an in, a, a very intense game. Um, I I killed almost every horror he put on the table, and uh, oh, it was it was a quagmire. And so he definitely didn't test my patience. Those horrors, though, buddy. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, the horrors might have been a little too strong for for <laughs> wandering beasts. <laughs> Man, oh man. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty tough. All right. Uh, so question then from uh, PM Zig Price. What are your tips for making a fun and unique campaign for friends? And how does that differ from building for an event? So Josh, you've got, you know, uh, you and Paven both, you know, have won our painting challenges and then, you know, created fun, unique campaigns for us here on, on the crew. We've done league stuff. Um, you know, Vint, you've done some, you know, league stuff locally. How is that different than building for an event? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the big thing, if you're going to be playing with your friends, um, it's not your war bands can write a prolonged engagement, uh, right? 
Uh, I'm going to play against the the dispossessed of Greywater Fastness a million times, and I, I am going to collect some dwarf heads, maybe, hypothetically. Uh, but that that means that when we write for those campaigns and we write our narratives for these things, it means that you know those dispossessed are going to be you know absolutely coming to kill my skaven or absolutely coming to kill my my beast of chaos um and when we write the narrative it has to it, it flows that way um so when you're playing somebody on a more regular basis more than once or twice per a convergence series right um it, it gives you some ability to write some really creative and direct narratives where the story doesn't have to end in one game um so when you're when you're doing a unique and fun campaign for friends you you do it with the idea of having a balanced fun game with your buddies right uh, and it doesn't even have to be necessarily balanced right there's been times where uh, i'll be playing with somebody and it is our fourth or fifth time playing um, and we are going to get them through this convergence i swear um, I and we decide to change the narrative um, or we decide to change something just a little bit because it fits our narrative, right? You know, I have a I have a, a penchant when I play Josh that if we do anything revolving around catacombs or where my heroes can take uh, any amount of damage from, like, walking, per se, uh, I will lose my leader to, like, random environmental effects and he won't have to touch them, they'll just die. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, right, like... In the narrative I have for those warbands, it, it very much is the, you know, such and such the unlucky or, um, you know, some kind of grand title for my Spire Tyrant's leader who is officially died twice. Like, not just he, he was taken down. No, he's dead, like, twice. He's, we're on our third iteration. The rest of the warband's fine. So it, it is, you know, the unmistakable you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, leader. And, and part of that, you know, then makes it fun when I play Josh or I play uh, one of my friends in the area um, that, that knows that, that my leaders are just going to die. That's just how that works sometimes. And so writing a long-term event versus writing a, a one-off uh, is, is, of course, very, very different. And having the ability with your friends to be able to adjust and, you know, you're already going to be more patient with one another, right? Um, if Josh beats me 37 games out of 38, that's still going to be okay because I still get to hang out with my buddy Josh. Or when Eric wins and I win 12 out of 24, both of us, you know that that 13th game, we're both going to be, you know, pretty hungry for that who's going to tip the scales win, right? And that might mean that it's a very balanced game versus me and Josh's game where uh, he has one guy in his sword and that's the only group that comes onto the table turn one. Um, and if I kill that one guy in the sword who has to start in the middle of the map with all my my uh, groups coming in at the round one, you know, maybe that's how we write that narrative to make it a little more fair. Um, <laughs> so so that's that's really the benefit when when you're writing a campaign for your friends you can be a little bit more generous. You can be a little bit more patient and a little bit more uh, long reaching with your narrative goals. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Great answer. And, you know, and you get those rivalries that build up and, you know, you can build those interweaving stories and, you know, do they grow Do they go on to form their path to glory armies? You know, you can, you can take it in lots of different directions, which is kind of cool. And, you know, so we, we wanted to give that flavor to an event, you know, so it's like, Oh, how do you give them the hooks? So they feel like they've progressed 
through a whole campaign in three missions, you know. <laughs> so and uh, and so that that was definitely behind our thoughts in terms of designing the the the, the branching quests the way that we did. Uh, I think also too for league play, it's you know again much longer term. You're going through an entire Warcry campaign. You're getting your command traits and your artifacts at different points. Uh, those are those are also the points where I think it's really nice to throw in uh, you know some sort of multiplayer event. You know, like you said, you know, try to do the, the you know plague event where the plague zombies were coming on, and, and we designed another one to kick off the last season where. It was a two-tiered table, and they had to search for a skull in the catacombs, and there were raptor nests down there. And so people were fighting each other on top and also going down and stealing the skull. And, you know, it kind of brings everybody together, generates that excitement again, and then they can go back to their normal campaign quests. But uh, by having those periodic multiplayer events, I found kind of, you know, re-energizes things or, you know, something unique, a mission that, you know, that's different than their normal campaign that, oh yeah, you know, maybe the monster battle, you know, or maybe it's a challenge battle. Those kind of add additional flavor to their ongoing narrative and, and uh, kind of re-energize everybody. But, you know, now we can throw this question back to you, Eric, because you also have experience designing events and running leagues. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, um, there is something a little bit different with, you know, let's say friends, like, uh, you know, people you're, you're closest with, um, where, you know, you can sort of, um, get away with just stomping somebody and it's, it's fun. Right. I mean, like we played a game, you guys, you, me and Pavend where there was multiple win, uh, scenarios and I, and somehow I took them all and we can be like, ha ha ha. But when you get into league, right, and you're playing with people who you're trying to introduce the game, when you're designing an event where you want people to have a good time, um, you are, I, th- I think you're trying to be m- more mindful of how people walk away from games um, and that there's enough meat there that, like we talked about, that losses don't matter as much, right? And so I guess that's that's one thing I'd put out. Um, and, and some of that is, and you guys have heard me talk about this a ton, uh, you, do a, you do a lot more for an event to signal the right attitude and expectations for it so that it goes well. Because you're when you're playing with your friends, like you all have the same language that you work off of and you have you know similar things that you like to do and like the outcomes. Like we, we've just talked about a number of different stories that come out of our games. Um, uh, when you're hosting an event and people are coming from different places and have had different experiences, you're trying to get people into the same language and into the same expectations quickly so that you all have a, a similar shared experience that's positive for everybody. And that's really hard. Um, uh, I don't want, not really hard. It just takes intention to do so. So I think uh, that's what I would say is maybe the difference between something fun and unique for your friends it's probably less explanation on what's fun and 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 what you do, and it's going to be fun just to kind of being with people uh, that you know and you care for uh, at events. I think it's a little bit more about building that foundation of uh, you know how we play together and what's what's important to us. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Cool. All right. So, sort of, kind of wrapping up. Uh, I need you guys to get. Uh, you've been reflecting on this all the way, but we're going to take a a step bigger. 
Um, what was uh, what was the player feedback like? What was uh, what were the some of the things that people said? So it might feel a bit a bit weird, Midwesterners, you know, sharing the things that people were praising them for. But go ahead and share what were people bragging about? What were people or uh, uh, thanking you for? I mean, keeping games fun, right? Uh, the there is a couple of the games that we played that were a little a little one sided, right? As the as the ringer, and you know, the, again, not my intention for sure. It just happens that way, and um, making sure that they stayed fun, right? Like we're we're all there to have fun. It's our hobby, and it was uh, it was good to hear. You know, when Josh told me at the end of the event, like. I absolutely would have been torn trying to figure out which one was was my best game because all three were so fun. Um, so just the these you know hearing feedback from them that they really liked the stories and really got a lot out of the event, um, and it was something that they you know I, I don't know how many times I heard I can't wait to do this again next year like you guys are gonna come back right like the whole time was just it was uh it was really cool and really neat to hear yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, again, as Vince said, that you know, every time we ran into one of the players, you know, later on in the at the convention or you know at dinner later or whatever else, they were they again were just like, oh, dude, this is so awesome, and you know, they would tell the person that they're you know they were sitting with, you know, what happened, and you know, oh yeah, and this thing happened with my models, and you know, this was a great quest, and and uh, and, in, and even later, uh, I was talking to Domus, who kind of run the the AOS area, and he said, dude, I received a lot of positive feedback from people I know played in the event or from people who, who talked to people who played in the event. He said, we would definitely love to have uh, you guys do the narrative work right event next year. You know, you're hundred percent welcome. So that was awesome to hear, you know, that people really enjoyed it. They enjoyed the stories. You know, I couldn't tell how many people were actually reading the narrative versus just playing, but later I kind of learned like, Oh yeah, no, people were reading it in between things. So, so that was encouraging, you know, that we didn't, you know, that they actually read the stories and uh, got kind of yeah. got into the narrative um, but everybody had a great time. And, uh, you know, there were a couple, you know, scenarios where like the, the beasts, you know, one of the challenges with that is that you can roll to, you know, you, you can choose an activation to to move one of the wandering beasts and you roll a die and sometimes your opponent will get to activate it instead. And yeah. there are certain games where, you know, people just did not roll well and their opponent got to move all the beasts against them, you know, so it was, it, it felt one-sided, but they still had a good time, but that was good feedback to get. It was like, okay, if this happened on a few tables, maybe we use less beasts the next time we run this, so it's not as powerful. You know, it doesn't feel as as bad or something like that. So, but yeah, it was it was awesome to hear that you know positive feedback. You know, kind of encouraging us, like, oh, okay, you know, we we worked hard to design this for the first time, and it went well, and you know, and now we we've got some footing to you know to do something, you know, some more stuff in the future. Well, talking about the future then, um, well, let, let me go to this one. What would be tips for anybody who wants to run an event um, locally for their friends or for their community, a league or something like that? What would what would you say to help them kind of take that step uh, into uh, trying something out, putting something together? Vint, what would you say? Uh, when it would come to, like, if they wanted to try something out, um, you know, maybe start small, right? Start with, you know, you, you don't want to, it's really easy to get into the weeds uh, with such an awesome and engaging narrative setting. Keep it really simple, 
right? If you're going to start it off and you want to do a really cool giant narrative event, um, make it something that is fun, right? It's a hobby. Like you definitely want to make it engaging and fun, but uh, it's really easy to get get super into your into your character, into your lore, into the direction you want to take it uh, specifically. And that can really lead to to putting in a lot of work and then not getting not getting the engagement you were hoping for, right? Due to a perspective. So really, just just keep it simple. Uh, find find some stuff. Uh, if you haven't read your way through the the new tome of champions, there's a lot of really good usable items there, right? Just take read through the Olfenkarn, um setting. Maybe even do some of those, right? Uh, there's a there's a reason Dungeons and Dragons players all kind of know who or know how Castle Ravenloft works, right? Um, and it's it's good stuff. Uh, lean on existing wisdom and and find your way into something that makes sense for you and your you and your friends. Yeah, that makes me. I'm just going to jump in real quick uh, to that kind of taking small steps, like. Uh, Josh and Vint and I cut our teeth on running leagues here locally, uh, which allowed us to play a ton of games and uh, how like experience a ton of games with other people and get their feedback. And in that, you're just trying to organize to people to like, hey, everybody come here on a day and a time. And that built trust, like us as kind of uh, leaders in the community. So build trust with other people that you can run an event, that you can organize things, that you can um, kind of... Uh, can have a create fun spaces. And then when you say, Hey, I want to do something different. People will be like, sure, uh, let's do it. Uh, so I think building a little bit of trust through kind of just experiencing a lot of games with, with people in your, in your community would be a great place to start. Yeah. How would you yeah. judge? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as Vint pointed out, there's a, even in the, the Toma champions 2021, there's a tournament called the fell Nyroth tournament, which is narratively based. So it actually takes the place over a day. You got morning, midday and evening. So it, it, you know, it's set up, it's structured and it has a little bit of narrative flavor, but it's run more like a tournament. And, you know, there's campaigns like Soroth core or all the really cool mini campaigns that are in the Toma champions 2021, which allow you to play, a few games with your your friends without necessarily having to do a full campaign in a league. So there are lots of ways I think that you can tackle that smaller introduction. Like maybe you try running a league to get that trust or you run a challenge battle together and everybody gets a feel for the rules and some of the unique storytelling aspects. And then maybe you jump into one of these mini campaigns and then you can say, oh, okay, now, now I think I can handle an event, a bigger scale. But uh, one thing I think was extraordinarily helpful is to have somebody else help you as well. You know, so, so I helped <laughs> yeah. Eric and, yes. uh, you know, having a second person to help, you know, whether it's, you know, a store owner or a friend or whatever else is immensely helpful to, you know, share the burden of, of all the work and bounce ideas off of and come together with our different experiences and expectations. And that was extraordinarily helpful. So I definitely encourage whoever might be thinking of running an event to, you know, there's lots of material out there, you know, bounce your ideas off your friends, off the web. And, you know, and if you have, you know, get someone to help you, you know, just answering questions, you know, yeah. definitely a very way, good way to go. Yeah, it really is, right? You you don't, uh, it's dangerous to go alone, right? Like, so, yeah, it, either one of us, you know, any, any one person can really get it in their head. We're going to do pirate battles. We're going to do 
374 branching quests that are all going to interlock somehow. You know, they're all going to tell the same story from different perspectives. It's going to be brilliant. I, we know we can do it. You know, it just, it, it's good to have somebody there to temper your excitement uh, in a game where everything is so impactful and meaningful. Absolutely. All right. So from there then, what is coming next? Um, uh, in, you know, let's keep it in the realm of maybe events or, uh, you know, at least, uh, you know, playing Warcry. What's next for the Dogs of War Cry? What's the next for you two? Yeah, so as, as both Fent and I have alluded to, we are, you know, there was a lot of interest, and uh, none of the people we know locally were able to do or, or play it in the Adepticon event. So we thought it would, it would be great yeah. to, you know, give people here a chance to to play through this stuff and check out the quests and, and give us feedback. And so we're we've got a date set. It's going to be May twenty second, Pegasus Games. Um, starting at 11 until six ish or whatever. Um, and yeah, so we're hoping that we're going to run the exact same event. You know, it's going to be the same quests, the same narratives, and uh, we'll advertise this shortly on the, on the mortal realms uh, website and get some information out there shortly. But, uh, but that is coming. And uh, I don't know if, if you had anything else you wanted to add about that. I, I mean, it's going to be a fun event. It's going to be, Everything, if you if you loved Adepticon and you can make it to this event and want to try a different branching quest, this is the place to do it. Um, if you if you didn't make it to Adepticon, uh, this is going to be a good event um, locally that you can day trip over to. Uh, I know that there's going to be a few people who have even asked questions that are for sure coming to uh, to this event. Some faces that have moved away, and I'm I'm super excited to see them. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be good. It'll be a, a really cool group, um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a nice. lot of fun. Uh, Paven and I have talked, and and I'm sure Vin, this is all preliminary, but towards the end of uh, 2022, I hope to run another kind of fall event. Uh, that's kind of fall has been kind of when we've run events in the past. Um, uh, so we don't know what it is. We don't know how how big it'll be all that kind of stuff, but hopefully another fall event. Um, yeah. uh, leagues hopefully opening up soon now that people are venturing back into stores, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully we can get our league uh, environment. Uh, and I, I firmly believe we've probably got one of the best uh, local scenes for Warcry in uh, the country, if not the world. Um, so I'm excited to get back to leagues. And then as you guys alluded to, um, uh, you've been asked back to Adepticon for 2023. Um, so uh, if, if, even if you start now uh, preparing your narrative, your run, run your warband through some uh, campaigns and, and have some fun and then, uh, you know, bring them to uh, the Schaumburg or Chicago area in 2023. Um that's a lot of a lot of things that are coming up ahead for for games and events for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, I think that you know, a fall event, we could probably even get it away with another summer event. Yet, you know, May is May is yeah. early. <laughs> Got lots of year left. Nice. Yeah. So we'll definitely be running. I, I think. Uh, I mean, yeah. There's enough of us here uh, that have event experience that. There's no reason that we shouldn't have uh, a great destination for for more events in the future, and uh, that would be awesome. 
That would be awesome. Yeah, well, we, we all have tons of ideas too. So it's like, oh, we got to distribute this. <laughs> we, gotta, <laughs> we can't have we all the ideas. Some of yeah, that's why we're going to do more events so we can get through all of them, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? We can do that pirate one and that 365 branching quest one. Yes, yes. Can't wait. Well, you know, it's going to be glorious. Do some of the things where like one event affects what happens in the next one. You know, we could do all yeah. kinds of cool stuff. We're crazy yeah. out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All the options. All right. Well, thank you guys for uh, welcoming me back in to jump into this episode so I could pick your brains and and ask all the questions on behalf of uh, our great listeners. Uh, It sounds like you guys ran a fantastic event that a lot of people are going to remember for years to come. uh, And uh, you guys should be really proud of that. So uh, everybody listening, round of applause. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I think that does it uh, for this episode. No, oh, thanks, thanks very much for both you guys coming and joining me on this episode. It's too bad Paven couldn't join us, Absolutely. but um, uh, thank you, listeners. We, you know, if you want to learn uh, more about what we do here and and uh, if any questions, you can find us on our Discord, the mortalrealms.com backslash Discord. Uh, we also have the Twitter at Dogs of Warcry, and you can always email us at dogsofwarcry at gmail.com. Thanks very much. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good dog, support the show with a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. Share it with friends. Join us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com backslash discord or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com backslash patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Welcome to this website.